All right. All right. Here we go. Here we are. Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh my. I think that was okay. The woos. I thought the woo was fine. I don't know. I think I, I think I leveled it. You're up. pushing it. Wow. All right. All right. Rude. All right. Well, Dustin, what are we talking about this weekend? It's funny you should ask. What we're talking what about? What is happening? Nipple. <laughs> I'm practicing in case I ever have to do this solo. If you have to do this solo, it's going to be a very boring podcast. I've listened to our episodes. I'm going to... Wow, rude. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I am what the people tune in to hear, okay? I am going to have notes from Kyle, and okay. I'm going to read them to myself. Um, hey, Kyle, how many names am I going to mispronounce today? I don't know, Dustin. Probably all of them. Hey, Kyle, I was supposed to talk to you about that before we started recording, because I needed some pronunciations, but it's too, too late, late now, now, so we're just going with it. I'll be fine. It's my job. It's all what right. I'm paid for. So... Today we're talking about Napoleon. Which one? There's like five. We learned that. The, yeah, we did when we went to watch the newest Napoleon, released like three weeks ago. Well, hold on. If you're listening to this in like 2026. Okay. all right. <laughs> the 2023 Napoleon with, as Dustin calls him, Walking Phoenix. Walking Phoenix. And the director from Gladiator, Ridley Scott. And Alien. Yeah. The director of Alien. I mean... <laughs> Okay, anyways, um, yes, we have, really, I'm just going to say, like, I kind of break down the cast sometimes. Yeah, go for it. Um, we're going to talk about two people, because okay. that's 90% of the cast. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. plays Napoleon Bonaparte. Yes, he does. And Vanessa Kirby plays Josephine. I recognized her from somewhere, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember it either. And, and then I, I looked like it I've... up, and I remembered, and now I can't remember again. So, yeah, so I know, I, I've seen Hobbs and Shaw, um... Wouldn't recommend it, but it, I mean, you it's, know, it's, it's fine. fine. If you it's like whatever. blowing, if you like punching people and blowing things up, if it's you want to feel dumber after a movie, yeah, go ahead. It's just The Rock and Jason Statham <laughs> being The Rock and Jason Statham for two hours. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like I've seen her in something else. I can't, I don't remember what it is now. Mm. Anyways, I thought she did great in this. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. So, uh, how are people feeling about this, Kyle? Um. Historians have mixed emotions, and audiences. They also have mixed emotions. <laughs> it's not going well. <laughs> it's a mixed bag of a movie. Even when we watched it, we got done and we kind of talked ourselves into really liking it. And then we left and we were like, wait a second. I don't did know we I'd, really like it? I don't know if I'd say really liking it. I talked myself into being like, that was good. That was good. That was fine. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, I was like, that, that, that was okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb. For me, it's fine. But part of the reason it's only fine is because it's completely different from what all the trailers imply mm-hmm. it to be. And I think that's irresponsible. Like I'm not the film guy, mm-hmm. but I think trailers are supposed to tell people what they're getting, not what you think your movie is. Or it should purposefully uh, misdirect the audience for, sure. for an effect while you're watching the movie. Yeah. One way or the other. I think, and you know, for a lot of the credits for this, I think you could have, you know, sidestepped a lot of hate if you would have just titled it Napoleon and Josephine. Because it is. And it's not that part of the movie is good. Like the I like it. Yeah, I like the dynamic, right? We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We haven't even talked about the movie. Um, but the movie, before you, if you haven't watched it yet, it is our duty as responsible citizens to warn you, it is not Napoleon the general. Mm-hmm. It is not Napoleon the leader of France. It is Napoleon the guy. The, the horn dog. Yes. <laughs> the kinky, weird-ass guy from France. And his relationship with his first wife right is most of the movie the other stuff's in there but most of the movie's that and it's not bad at all but know that going in to watch that movie (laughs) um also i feel like before we get any further we should say kyle doesn't believe that you can spoil history but it's called wikipedia it's it's what i use for half of my research i tell you what kyle i didn't know 
much of nothing about Napoleon. And I feel like after I watch this, I still don't know much of nothing you might about know Napoleon. Less. <laughs> As it turns out. <laughs> I might actually I, I know things incorrectly now. Yeah. No, uh, but if I mean we are gonna talk about the plot of this. It is histor historical. There's nothing like added in. Yeah, uh, I think that was the compromise we reached that will sp will spoil the end of Napoleon's story, but not the end of the couple's story, or did I have that backwards? No, I think that sounds right. Yeah, because we don't want to spoil the main driving element right. of the story, which is their relationship. Yeah. And most people who aren't Dustin have a vague idea that Napoleon is defeated and like cast out of France. There are a lot of Dustins out there, Kyle. Let me tell you that. Yeah, but I don't think they have the patience to sit their ADHD asses through this podcast, man. You know that? Well, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say the movie. Okay, so... Or the movie, for that matter. Uh, I'll be you honest. You were only there because there was unlimited popcorn. Well, I'll be honest, man. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have watched this if it wasn't for wanting to do an episode on the podcast. I wouldn't have gone to the theater and watched this. I may have watched it eventually. Yeah. Um... And part of that, like you said, with the trailers, man, the I the trailers just didn't hook me really like at all. They hooked me a lot, and then I watched the movie, and I'm like, I've been lied to. <laughs> uh, yeah, just the I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like we've seen the the historical epic and the battle scenes so many times and so many so many different movies that if you don't show me something that looks like oh I've never seen that before, right. I just don't really care. Yeah, and it could have been um, because it wasn't. It could have been like we talked about Napoleon as the commander, which mm -hmm. we'll get more into. But Napoleon's legacy is and should be a weirdly effective ruler of France, even though he's a megalomaniac and a jackass. Hmm. And also an incredibly brilliant battlefield tactician and strategist. Mm -hmm. Neither of those things really come across in the movie. I didn't see anything. Not not much. Like There's like battle. one scene that we'll talk about in a minute that yeah. kind of implies that he's really good at fighting. But across well, that... Two, yeah, but two, like, two no, I'm saying like, there's nothing like, oh, this is how he is Yeah, so well, there's nothing like, this planning. man is brilliant. Like, yeah. there's no, this guy is a genius. I could have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, let's let's dive in just a little bit. First off, no matter what you say, directed by Ridley Scott, um, when the movie came out, he was 85. He turned 86 on November 30th. 86 freaking years old. I don't care if they just wheeled him to the set and he called action. That's impressive. You got to respect the grind. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Um, not Don't love it. Written by David Starpa. Sorry, David. I don't know anything uh maybe about this, you maybe this isn't your deal man maybe maybe well, you should look into a different day job he has five writing credits to his name okay he wrote the last castle which seems interesting i've never seen it it does seem like a cool movie yeah the day the earth stood still from 2008 which is a very forgettable and not very good remake right and all the money in the world which was from 2017 nobody ever and saw again it. i never saw it um so that's kind of an odd choice film guy you're a well accoladed aging just movie out your like yin yang mm -hmm. director and mm -hmm. you pick joe schmo as your screenwriter or you and, or you accept a project that was written by joe schmo i don't know which one came first um i guess it doesn't matter honesty. really because like it's why why would yeah, you do that that strange choice and, and for for sure and i think it really shows in this i think if i i don't want to say a younger ridley scott but very very possibly more, maybe a more motivated uh, and focused Ridley Scott could have kind of narrowed this down and yeah. touched up the script. But 
oh, man, uh, we'll get to it more. Yeah. But man, this movie just kind of seemed to not go in any right. direction. Because t- with the exception of Aliens and Gladiator, that's what Ridley Scott does is he mm-hmm. makes B plus movies out of C minus material. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of his deal. Like he makes movies that you enjoy watching, even though you're watching it and you're like, this is not awesome like the writing is not great and the acting is fine but damn this movie is cool that's like really that's kind of what he does yeah he, he did not do that this time <laughs> at um, least in our opinion okay so um i guess like one of i, I say i guess uh uh the the idea or like the production for napoleon really started years ago before covid yeah and um, covid had a way of wrecking everything a touch yes so. it was during uh, either either during the production of or shortly after the production of the last duel Oh, um, okay. and the actress from that, Jody, I'm a Comer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how sure. you pronounce your last name. I'm sorry. Um, she was actually cast as Josephine. Oh, um, and then it just kind of fell apart. I think, don't know if that was due to COVID or what happened, but that's something. Thinking I read, of what that. I I've watched last duel, it's very good. I like it. Um, I did too. I thought it was good. That's a really interesting. Like thinking of her as Josephine, that's a whole different tone of a movie. Complete I would, opposite. I would think. Yeah. Like that's wow. I wonder what she would have brought would, differently to the role. I don't know if it would have been better or worse, but it would I not have been the same. I can't see it. And you know, in all honesty, like if looking, what I'm going to remember about this movie probably is Vanessa Kirby. Yeah, I mean, Josephine. the movie should be called Josephine and Napoleon. Like, no Napoleon and jo- Like, the movie's Josephine, yeah. for the most part. Well, I don't know. Nah, I, I would say it's more about their relationship because there are also big chunks of, uh, of Josephine's character that I feel like could have been developed better. Yeah. And that she could have had a lot of this is going to piss people off that. I think she could have had more screen time. I agree. But if you're going to give her more screen time, don't call it Napoleon. Weirdly, they were both done dirty by the amount of screen time given to the other person. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like we didn't have time to explore Napoleon because we were focused on Josephine. And we didn't have time to explore Josephine because we had to keep going back to Napoleon. And we focused on the relationship, but we built it. We, 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 presented this movie as a historical epic about his conquerors about napoleon's conquests and it was none of the above yeah so like i said irresponsible just, might be the best word it I, just seemed like it lacked focus it lacked direction they tried to do too much and they ended up accomplishing nothing yep um, with that being said let's get into it well that's my review all right see y'all next right. week yeah I'm there you kidding. go tune out now all right well let's get to the plot of this movie shall we Yes, we shall. So, where we start? 1793. A very good year. Almost as old as I am. Amid the French <laughs> Revolution, uh, young army officer Napoleon Bonaparte watches Kareem, Queen... Queen? Queen. <laughs> watches Kareem. Watches Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> get bad. Gosh, dang it. That's a, that's a terrible, <laughs> hilarious image. Um. All right. Queen Marie Antoinette beheaded via guillotine. Yes. Um, slay girl slay. So the f- <laughs> first, the first, uh, the first thing is when I was doing. I do a little bit of research for these two. Oh <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> do you? <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, and one of the first things I saw was people were like, he wasn't there. He that, couldn't have been there. That's correct. He wasn't. He was at Toulon already. Does it matter? No, that one I don't. <laughs> Who cares? I have this. Um, my friends and I have this ongoing discussion, my other historian friends, the nerds that went to grad school with me, about like how important the finer historical details mm-hmm. are in things. And it kind of depends on the movie. But generally speaking, like I am okay with warping time and place as long as it doesn't take away from like the historical significance mm-hmm. of it. 
So the significant part of the beginning of the movie is that Napoleon leads the recapture of Toulon, not where he was in an individual like day. <laughs> so uh, one of the one of the uh, breakdowns of this movie that I was watching, they were like, "There's six battles," and I was like, I, "There's three. I don't right. know where you got sits from." And apparently, uh, I guess that technically there are. There's like six battles, but they're like two shots a piece. Yeah, there's like, only. No. It's only three battles. That I really, any. I count three. I guess four because the one in Russia, the cavalry charge that he does. I guess I don't but, know, but but three and a half. There's three okay. and a half actual all right. battles. All right, I I well, you're throwing me off now because I put because <laughs> I put three and that's what I put down. So okay. we're gonna say all right. Three. There's three. I'm and, incorrect. There's and, three and real Kyle battles. Kyle can put put in his half later. It's like Star Wars. There's action at the beginning action in the middle action at the end and you're bored for the rest of it so um the siege of toulon is our yeah. next uh our next scene it's our first battle where we see napoleon in action right um he's a nervous mess oh yeah he's leading a charge yep here's our first spoiler here it comes <laughs> that horse oh my god messed up. oh no <laughs> There's like a like a like a three pound cannonball gets shot through the middle of his horse's chest. Bro, that poor horse. Oh, it, that. Ugh. Uh, yeah, that's rough. It was it's it's some kinda, good CGI though, man. It's, like it's 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 like uh, it's one of those things where like it's startling, but it's kind of funny. And it kind of <laughs> weirdly it it kind of makes sense in the moment because he's super nervous. And then when his mm -hmm. horse gets blown up, he gets up and he's like cold as steel. Like he's fine. He like puts his hat back on. He's like, all right, here we go. But I think it's that, <laughs> it's that battle jitters of like, well, I haven't died yet. So, okay. You know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so siege of Toulon. So it is let you just explain it. Yeah. I don't know why so I'm it's to a little, it. <laughs> one of the irresponsible thrown around a lot when I describe this movie. Um, one of the irresponsible starts is that they briefly mentioned that the British Navy has captured the city of Toulon in France and that they need to retake it. What they don't make very clear is that the French Revolution starts a continental war of France versus what's called the First Coalition, which is Austria, Prussia, I believe, um, and England, and maybe Russia, but mm. every other major power in Europe versus yeah. France because... They just overthrew this absolute monarchy and all the other monarch monarchal. The other kings and queens are worried hey, because don't do that to they're us. like, don't do that to we us. We don't yeah. like that. So they invade France. France at this time has a very big population, a very big army, even with the world going to hell in a handbasket. So mm. they don't get super duper far, um, but they do take some cities. And the British have this massive navy, so a port city is pretty low-hanging fruit for them. So... I guess back up just a tiny bit. Yeah. Why was the French Revolution happening? We don't have to go into like major detail, right, but just right. like that's not even touched on. Sure. So um, the French Revolution is really sudden because two. So Louis the Sixteenth mm -hmm. is the king during the French Revolution. Two kings before him is like the height of French power in Europe. Mm. So it's a very like very fast within a hundred years sort of turnaround. Okay. Long story short, the French go through this. 50 year period of just losing every major war they're in uh they lose a lot of little colonial wars in the early 1700s they lose we call it the french and indian war they call it the seven years war um the last of the mohicans war if you've seen that movie they mm. lose that one to the british and lose like all of their territory in north america and a lot of it in the caribbean then they win through proxy 
the American Revolution, which actually was a global war because we allied with Spain and France against Britain. Huh. They win that. They're pretty integral to it. But the British, I learned this in a throwaway American Revolution class last semester of grad school. So thank you, MSU. Um, the British at the very end of the war capture the French fleet that helps at the Battle of Yorktown, cuts them in half and burns half of it to the waterline. Wow. So France leaves the American Revolution with limited territorial gains, massive debt, and no navy. Mm. Even though they were on the winning side. Right. And the U.S. can't pay them because they're bankrupt, because right. they're a new... Well, we just started. So really, it was Louis XVI's pissing contest against Britain. Nice. France is always looking for a reason to hurt Britain. They do, but they actually weirdly get hurt worse, arguably, than Britain does. Because huh. Britain loses 13 colonies, but they still have their navy, they still have their economy. Mm -hmm. it, it is what it mm -hmm. is. Um, fast forward to the 1780s, and there's this really weird winter in Europe where for like five years straight or three years straight, winter is brutal and mm. the harvests are bad. France is already in an economic downturn. Um, boats are expensive. They just are. Even today, having a big Navy is a really big freaking deal. Can't even buy a fishing boat, dude. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so imagine a, imagine a hundred foot tall fishing boat with 50 uh -huh. cannons in it, man. It's crazy. Um, and they, the people are starving to death and King Louis Sixteenth is not, He's not a bad, as bad of a king as people want to paint him out, but he's not a good king. He's not a strong king. He doesn't mm -hmm. have a lot of forced personality. And his wife, Marie Antoinette, is originally Maria Antonio from Austria. Right. Rumor circulates that she's robbing the French treasury. Mm. I, I don't think she was. I'm like 90% sure that we've proven that that's just not true. No more so than any other royal pillages yeah. the French. But the royal family in France is living like times are good when they're not. It's kind gotcha. of the message. People get fed up with it. The Americans just overthrew the British. Democracy's kind of on the rise. They think they're going to do the same thing. And the okay. French Revolution starts. Okay. Okay. So this is their attempt to establish democracy yeah, in, a, um, in their own by way. By the time Napoleon starts, the rebels win pretty right. quickly. Um, but they leave the king and the queen alive for okay. a minute. Um, until rumor leaks out that Louis has called his allies in Europe to attack the country and reinstate him as monarch. Okay. Again, I, I don't know how true that is or isn't, but that one's a little more plausible. Like, of course, a dethroned king mm -hmm. would want to escape. He and his family flee after the royal palace is charged by the revolutionaries. They almost make it out of the country. They get captured. They get dragged back. Gotcha. Louis executed in, I think, 1791 because he's the king and queens, for the most part, don't have any real power. They're just the consort of the king. And then a way more like radical faction takes over the revolution than had mm. done it before. They're looking for scapegoats and we have this queen of France sitting in prison for two years, perfectly ready to get her head chopped off. And that's where Napoleon starts. The guillotine was ready. Yep. All right. <clears throat> well, after that, after the siege of Toulon, the reign of terror after Max, Maximilian, Maximilian, I just, just said he's these. just Robespierre. Like Gosh, you don't have to use it. his first name. It's just Robespierre. I just pronounced these off the Maximilian Robespierre. Fine, Robespierre. There you go. All right, he's executed, ending the reign of terror. Right. Okay. French leaders are attempting to reestablish this new government, mm -hmm. trying to get stability, and then. Napoleon meets Josephine. <laughs> yeah, basically. What in the movie. Um, after he <laughs> after he takes Toulon, 
Um, which is like we talked about this briefly, but it's a bit like that's one of the things that do show that does do does whatever it, the, it do show it do show that um he is pretty savvy in tactics because he melts down a bunch of old useless cannon to make mm-hmm. mortars yeah and sneaks up on the fort and then uses the guns of the fort to decimate the f- British Navy right with an artillery shell that if he didn't create he's the first person to use it it's kind of the implication in the movie. Okay, so and then and that was supposed to be they were um it was a, a siege or yeah a, no, so it's a, it's a siege of a captured oh, city. What's the word I'm looking for? Where they Bomb. blocked off blockade blockade yeah blocked. Gosh dang it, it was literally in the name. Yeah, it's Toulon's so that, a really important port city. Yeah, um, money and supplies come through port cities, especially in the age of exploration and the age of colonialism, which is yeah. this is the tail end of that. And yeah, so they. The city's taken by the British. The French want it back. They send Napoleon. He takes it um, in dramatic, awesome fashion. Yeah, because that like battle that scene, scene objectively is really cool. I like, like it. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then this is when Napoleon meets Josephine. Yes. They get married. Yes. Um. That's like probably thirty Takes minutes. So long. So long. Um, for that to happen. That's really like you, we just kind of see the dynamic of their relationship. Yep. And. I like like I kind of said earlier. If you if you titled it Napoleon and Josephine or Josephine and Napoleon, I would be okay with. I'd be way more okay with it. Like okay, because um, it is fascinating. Like I, yeah, yeah. The movie had me up to about this point. Mm-hmm. It kind of cut away a couple times yeah. to um like to the Reign of Terror ending. Um, and then here in a little bit where he, uh, him and his colleagues overthrow the government. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm like, Hey, you didn't really explain that. Yeah. I'm kind of confused. I mean, if you know, if you know the history of it, I'm sure it made more sense, but to me, and I hopefully would say most people watching this movie, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So we have this really brief segue where Napoleon goes to Egypt, which did happen. Um, oh yeah. And then he comes back because, uh, Josephine is not being faithful. Right. Which um, in real life is not why he came back. Um, okay. This is what I'm saying about like they, it doesn't explain why she did it. It doesn't even give any characterization to who she did it with. Um, it is more or less implied that Napoleon may not be the greatest lover. Um, so it kind of implies that he's not really fulfilling. He's not her. real. He's not great in the bedroom. <laughs> and it's funny because in the movie, his fake reason for coming back is the real reason that it happened historically. Okay. So historically, Josephine did have a lover. That much we know. Napoleon did find out about it. He dealt mm-hmm. with it in his own way. But um, not in that time period mm. yet because it's so new that there's okay. now. But he comes back because he gets defeated a couple times in Egypt because his army lacks supplies. Mm-hmm. And he thinks to himself, why is my army lacking in supplies? I'm really the only offensive happening right now. And this is very important because Egypt is a very wealthy British mm-hmm. colony and Britain is the bane of our existence with their giant ass Navy and their highly trained mm-hmm. army. What's going on? And the more he negotiates with the British and the more he negotiates with his own ambassadors, the more he's realizing that France is just falling apart. At the seams, that the provisional government in charge is not doing its job. He, being the super narcissistic man that he is, is like, this is my chance. France needs me, me specifically. And he hops his happy butt on a boat, goes back to France, and then does pretty much what he does in the movie, which is he and two other guys from the ruling council mm-hmm. stage a coup. Yeah. 
in their defense, this is one of those weird moments in history where it looks like they're bad guys who are kind of sort of doing a good thing because mm-hmm. France is just falling apart at the seams. And these three do, for a longer than a second, bring stability to France. So, you know, um, jury's out on whether they had good intentions or not, but they do stage a coup and they do manage to secure like French hegemony and, and kind of revitalize the country. And they established the first council? Tom- yeah, tonsil? <clears throat> yeah, it's the... There's three consuls, and that comes from a Roman thing mm. where in Rome it's called the Triumvirate, but Julius Caesar started as one of three. Okay. Octavian, Emperor Augustus, started as one of three. So it's this, it's a legacy of this happens sometimes in history where to avoid giving power to one guy, you give it to a handful. See, and there's comparisons made of him to Caesar, but I was confused because then like the next scene, he's crowned emperor. emperor. And I was like, wait, where did the other two guys go? So he gets himself elected as first council. Oh, okay. So that scene where they're taking power and he gets chased out of the royal hall and has mm-hmm. to march back in with his army. I will double check to see if that actually happened, but it's a coup. There was a funny line in that where they have their guns aimed at, at everybody in the building. And he goes, so, and it, shall we put it to a vote? <laughs> so, shall we put it to a vote? And he's so calm about it too, after just almost being murdered by a mob. Right. Moving on to the next battle. Austerlitz is Austria and Russia. It's part of this thing called the War of the Third Coalition. Basically, what happens is the First Coalition is the immediate response to the French Revolution, mm-hmm. where Napoleon takes Toulon and drives them, becomes the leader of the army, drives the invaders out of France. French win. War of the Second Coalition is when he's in Egypt and he's getting beat because of lack of supplies. He comes back, restabilizes it, kind of a status quo. Antibell. The War of the Third Coalition. Basically, this time it's Britain. Okay. So Britain does not like that Napoleon is building a big navy. Mm-hmm. Britain does not like that Napoleon has his eyes on the Caribbean because they kicked the French out of there a long time ago. But now that they don't have the 13 colonies, they're worried that he's going to get another foothold because they don't control the entire Western Hemisphere anymore. So they go to the rest of Europe and they're like, hey, we don't like this guy. And they go, well, we don't either, but he's kicked our ass the other times. And Britain goes, no, no, it's cool. We got it this time. So it's them and Russia and then Austria kind of schlumps in because they've been beaten by napoleon twice in the last 10 years and they go yeah okay we can take him there's three of us we got this right um you needless to say they do not got this yeah um because napoleon is napoleon and the battle of austerlitz is the final battle of the third coalition this the battle of austerlitz in the film is the second major battle um that's like actually like shown more than just very briefly um, this is where, if you've seen the trailer or if you've seen the movie, then you understand that this is where they start marching over what they don't know is a frozen lake. Yeah. Um, I think it is interesting before we get into this battle. Yeah. This is the one part of the movie where Napoleon's the rational one mm-hmm. in the, because he, and this did happen in history. Peace has been restored at the moment. He's really only invading Haiti, which is a French island. Now it's a French island with a bunch of slave plantations on it and the slaves revolt and claim it as their island. Mm-hmm. So he's not the good guy in that, but he's only dealing with internal French affairs right now. Mm-hmm. He's not attacking anybody. He's not invading anybody, but Britain is worried that he's going to become too powerful and start an overseas empire. So they rally everybody against him. And in the movie, I like the, I, that is something I liked is they portray him as being like, what is wrong with all of you? Like we have peace. I'm not threatening anybody. Right. Why are you starting a war that I am going to win? So again, it's that narcissistic megalomaniac thing. But at this point, the proof is in the pudding. He's won two wars mm-hmm. against coalitions of three or more countries. Yeah. 
So what are you doing poking the bear is kind of the message there. Yeah. Um, and this is something that kind of the, they go back and forth. Really, I feel like it's never... The movie never pits a side on if Napoleon is a good guy or a bad guy. Which is fair because he's... it's he's He's a guy who's hard. I think he was a bad person mm. based off of what I've read, whether or not I can classify him as like a Mao Zedong or a Hitler or a Genghis Khan, like somebody who is detrimental to history or like can be painted as the bad guy. Like he was always the aggressor yeah. and was always in the wrong. I don't know if we can do that because again, the war of the third coalition isn't him. Now he might've mm-hmm. started it eventually, but like he doesn't start it. The British start it. So I don't know. I don't know. And he's no more tyrannical or in power than any other European monarch. He's that's just the one I'm, who wins. Is that's kind of what I'm a, saying. He just kind of seems to be, he's the leader of France and yeah. he is, he's fighting these wars and he happened to win for a while. And right. that was, that's kind of seemed to be like the only point that the, yeah, the, that the movie makes. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is kind of actually embodied in the really cool, but very confusing battle of Austerlitz mm-hmm. scene. Um, go ahead. You describe what you saw. Cause I know the history. So I want to, I want to hear like, your okay. Take on so it. essentially he sets up this, uh, not not detoy camp, but kind of like he has a lot of his men down on a lower level, and they uh Austria and Russia, correct? Yes, just march their people right or march their soldiers right towards them, and um then he flanks them from higher ground and he lets loose this artil- artillery, and as they're trying to retreat, he shoots off cannons over this lake that's frozen and a lot of the men end up falling into the lake um that's broken apart by the cannonballs and the explosions taking place this is definitely napoleon at his most competent and confident yes in the film and i think this is the closest we get to what people wanted to see of the tactician and the mind of Napoleon during his battles, um, it's possible. From this movie, it might be, it might be my favorite scene. It's good. Um, and honestly, the battle is not perfect in terms of the recreation. It's really not bad. The, the main thing that's missing is that it's a little, a little generous to Napoleon. Like It mm-hmm. doesn't, from what I understand, it wasn't a preconceived ambush. It mm-hmm. was a preconceived like heavyweight knockout fight but napoleon being the brilliant tactician that he is he had some men in reserve he pulls some other men out of the line before the battle even starts because what happens is that he tempts the russian army in because the russians austria has almost fallen to napoleon at this point this is like the last gasp of the austrian army so there's a lot of russians with them the russians attack him and pull their men off of the high ground when he sees that he sends his men to the high ground. Mm-hmm. So actually, it's, it's an even more desperate fight than you see in the movie. Because in the movie, the men that he uses as a decoy are fighting like crazy bastards mm-hmm. to stay alive long enough for him to help them. In real life, it's even worse. Because in real life, he's not already there. His men aren't already on the heights. He gotcha. is marching them up the other side of the mountain. Yeah. So his center is just mauling with the, with the Russians and the Austrians. Yeah. When he finally gets his men up, he sends them down, and this does happen exactly like in the movie, is he sends this massive amount of men down the slope, mm-hmm. and the sun burns the fog off right as they start to hit the battlefield, and the Russians look, and suddenly there's tens of thousands of French soldiers right. on their flank. Um, 
Okay, this is when we have kind of a controversial little piece of this. Mm -hmm. Trenches. I think the problem with it is that it would be more earthworks than trenches. Mm. And that's a very... Look, okay. I don't have a huge problem with trenches appearing before the American Civil War Mm -hmm. because credit where credit is due, General Longstreet of the Confederacy kind of invented trench warfare. Mm -hmm. But, like breastworks and earthworks and trenches are almost the same thing it's just are you hiding behind a man-built wall of rubble or are you mm-hmm. hiding behind a man dug wall of rubble like it's yeah. it gets the same concept across when i was watching a little bit behind the scenes stuff this is another one if you remember back to gladiator mm-hmm. ridley scott was like you weren't there how do you know right and like and usually i'm okay with that because the older like the farther back the movie takes place the more mm-hmm. i'm like sure man okay yeah, yeah we don't know we know everything yeah. about the Napoleonic Wars because everybody who commanded the men were literate and they all, most of them survived it and they all wrote about it because even in the moment they knew that historically this is going to be an incredibly important thing. This is when, all right, so we're going to kind of speed through the next, uh, I don't know, setting up the third act of this film. Oh, should we talk about the, the Ice Lake controversy? Oh, yeah, go, sorry, I thought we were, uh, go ahead. No, yeah. you're good. So two controversies in this battle. Um, Ironically, the taxes aren't one of them because it's, it's pretty close, like I said. Mm-hmm. But trenches are one. The big one is that at the end of the battle, as the Russians and the Austrians are retreating, Napoleon fires cannon shots into the frozen lake mm-hmm. to kill as many men as possible. This is a controversy because historians themselves cannot agree mm-hmm. on whether this actually happened. And the reason we can't agree is because Napoleon claims that it happened just like in the movie. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, so does the guy, did the guy, who was the czar of Russia. But when Napoleon dredged the lake, records show that it was only two men dead and a hundred and something horses. Hmm. I'm of the opinion, Four based horses. off of that, that I honestly think that Ridley Scott kind of got it right on accident. And the reason I say that is why would the Russian czar admit to losing a thousand or two thousand men in a frozen lake if he didn't like why would he Mm -hmm. and it was after the battle and it was Mm -hmm. after the wars were over why would he do that to his enemy speaking of which there's a there's a small scene where it looks like like a french rebellion is happening Mm -hmm. again and he just open fires cannons yeah that did a mob of people (laughs) and there's a horrible shot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of, of most of these people are dead yeah. right um there's a horrible shot of a woman like a middle-aged woman who is now missing a leg yeah who's like just kind crawling of crawling in. around and i was like holy crap yeah and that is just taken so there there's a royalist insurrection before napoleon takes power mm-hmm. against the reign of terror or what's left of the reign of terror mm-hmm. he takes the job to be the defender of the government and he mm-hmm. does exactly that he drags cannons from 40 miles away he puts them in front of the governing building and he just canister shots which is for those of you not in the know canister shot is basically stuffing a giant oversized shotgun shell into a cannon that's what I, and firing it at point blank range of people that's what i whenever i saw it because they're like there's it's not like one big cannonball it's smaller little uh well, cannonballs. It's like yeah. smaller little cannonballs that come out, and it's a bunch it's, of them. It's just like, like a shotgun. It's shrapnel shot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you had 40 giant shotguns just yeah. alone to a crap. Um, he kills 300 people in mm. that within a couple minutes, and the, royal ins- the royalist insurrection just 
dissolves. Is done. Okay. Um, like I said, this next part we're gonna kind of we're have just to gonna just we're we're gonna get through, through it because it's a lot about the relationship and if you know. Uh, if you're interested in that, watch, watch the, the movie, movie because it does a good job. Um, okay, this is the part where I was like, what the heck did I just watch? Because sure. in like 15 minutes, okay, we go from this. He goes back mm-hmm. to his love story. Okay, now we're back onto the conquest. Russia, the czar of Russia, right. has uh, basically gone back on his truce. Mm-hmm. Um, he invades Russia. He gets all the way to Moscow. We don't yep. see like any fighting. He gets to Moscow. Moscow is on fire. And he says, what a coward. He would rather burn a city, city than face me. Um, and then he marches back. And in the march back, he loses half a million men to, yeah. to just it being cold. Yeah. Okay. So invading Russia is always a bad idea. Invading Russia with any chance that you're going to be in Russia in winter Doubly bad idea. Like, mm-hmm. historically, the only people who've done that are the Mongols because they had horses <laughs> and they're the Mongols. They are literally the historical exception. Watch the John Green uh, documentary about it um, on YouTube, the little crash course history on the Mongols. They are the exception. Yeah. They're, he, at this point, what they did not mention at all, mm-hmm. really, Napoleon owns Europe by yeah. the time he invades. I mean, owns it. He nominally, Austria and Prussia and all these other minor like states have their own borders mm-hmm. but he is in charge he is emperor of france and france is now from spain to the border the western border of poland so he's conquered most of most of europe yeah and russia he is stands alone at, he is sitting atop that mountain mm-hmm. and he takes i don't know how many men into russia Six hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, so he loses most of them. Oh, he loses almost all of them. So the thing about it is, he's trying to force Russia. the The circumstances are right in the movie; they're just poorly executed, and people don't know what it is. That it's so confusing. He is still Napoleon is always at war with Great Britain. Like mm-hmm. that's something people need to know that going into the movie. There's like four years where Napoleon's not actively at war with Great Britain. Mm-hmm. He's always at war with Britain. He can never take the island because the British Navy is just too good. As a rebuttal. Um, in 1810, 1811, 1812, he imposes a continental-wide blockade on Britain so that they can't make any money, get any supplies, because they're a freaking island. Right. Um, how effective that would be with the British Empire, I don't know. I, this isn't my, I don't study this period of history very often, because lots of people do. But Russia doesn't play ball. Okay. Russia is still not scared of Napoleon, because Russia's massive. And they're like, whatever, man, come at me. You've, you've never fought me in my turf, you know? Like, I've always invaded you, and you've beat us because we're allied with incapable people. So Napoleon, in full and utter belief of his own cult of personality at this point, and thinking that he is, like, unbeatable by any human alive, builds a massive army by this standard. Uh, Somewhere between 450,000 to 685,000 people. Mm. To put it into perspective, the Battle of Austerlitz is huge, and there's only 180,000 people in the whole battle. On both sides? Yeah, like, like combined, combined. Wow. So he Those builds sh- a, a coalition army of his own mm-hmm. that is four times the size to five times the size of the battles he has fought between him and other sovereign nations. And then he marches them into Russia in wintertime. Yes. Well, he, I guess he doesn't he, mean he, to. He, he marches them in, it's not wintertime. What he thinks he's going to do is he's going to, like get the rat out of his hole. He, he's just going to go take Russia. He's like, yeah. you will now bend the knee. Like, yeah. you're mine. 
I'm done messing with you. You've betrayed me four or five times, which they do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and he invades with this giant army, but the Russians will not stand and fight him because Russia is massive. And at this point, Russia is even bigger than it is now. Russia has all the Baltic states, half of the Balkans, and all of Poland and like Hungary. Mm-hmm. That well, not Hungary, but all of Poland, um, all of Belarus. They are they extend really far into continental Europe. So he has to conquer like thousands of miles or hundreds of miles before he even gets to anything important in gotcha. Russia. The Russians won't fight. They won't fight, um, which they do show in the movie. Like they, they pop, they bob and weave. They take pot shots at him. He finally forces a standing fight at the battle of Borodino, which he wins, but it's his, his, part of his massive army and a massive Russian army that hammer each other for like an entire day until he forces them off the field. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about invading somebody in their own turf. Unless you destroy their army, every time they retreat, they just get closer to their own stuff. Right. And you get farther away. Yeah, and so he finally gets to Moscow. So he, he, Borodino is, is a, it's, it's a Russian loss. They lose. Yeah. They flee the field. He has hundreds of thousands of men left. He's like, well, that freaking sucked, but I have this giant army in my mm-hmm. back. It doesn't matter. Another thing the movie does a little poorly Right. Napoleon's invasion of Russia is not, he's not personally with every single one of his men. Mm-hmm. Like, he, it's, it's an invasion. They spread out. So there's different commanders. They all kind of converge on Moscow, from what mm-hmm. I understand. Nobody's there. Yeah, he, this is yeah. when he, so he did set Moscow. Yeah, he, well, he didn't. The Russians did. Well, that, no, no, sorry. That's when I said he. I meant the Tsar. Yeah, the Tsar did. So okay. the Russians employ, when they realize they can't beat Napoleon face to face, they do this thing called scorched earth, mm-hmm. which they also do to the Nazis in World War II. Fun fact. Oh. Um, you burn everything of value yeah. so that they can't have it. You take right. it with you. What you can't take with you, you burn. You spike your cannons. You destroy your muskets. You burn your crops. Everything that you don't need to survive as a people, mm. you don't let the enemy have. Okay. So they take Moscow, which is this giant empty city right. with nothing in it. No supplies, no people, no craftsmen, no blacksmiths for your horse's shoes, no guys to fix your guns. No doctors to help your sick guys, no food to eat, no blankets, nothing. And then the Russians set it on fire because they would rather burn their greatest city to the ground than let Napoleon have it. So essentially he was he was banking on the supplies that he would get from his conquest yeah, because and he it's, didn't get it. It's any. a city of hundreds of thousands of people. He's yeah. assuming he's gonna take it, he's gonna make the Tsar bend the knee mm-hmm. and he'll replenish. Or if he can't do that, at the very least, if the Tsar flees, it's a city of hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. He'll just take the supplies he needs, he'll gut the city and he'll move on. Very important part or very important factor that was not mentioned at not all. Not at all. No. Okay. And then we get like two shots of them in the cold and it looks like they're having to kill horses for food. Yeah. And then he comes back and he's being exiled. And it's like, wait, what? Yep. So I'm like, hold on. Where did we, where did, what just happened? Cause he, he was 15 minutes ago in the movie. Mm-hmm. He was emperor, uh, you know, untouchable. Now he's being exiled. He's exiled. I know I'm kind of speed running this, but no, essentially good. this is, this kind of what, this is where I really feel like the movie failed to deliver. Um, He's exiled. He's on the island for a few minutes, and he's like, nah, I'm going back. Yeah. He comes back, and now he's done an army. And we're like, okay, time for Waterloo. Yeah, that's irresponsible. So... What what the heck happened? I'm I, so yeah, lost. It was, it, no, it was super confusing. Um, Yeah. Who had the power to, to exile him? I don't understand well, any of it. that's the thing. He's not ex... Okay, he is, but he's not. He's not exiled by the French government just because he fails 
in Russia. Mm -hmm. He's exiled because they just beat the crap out of him in Russia. And Russia and Britain and Austria and Prussia come at him again in the War of the Fifth Coalition Mm. and beat him down and threaten the new French. They basically are like, we will take France if you don't get this asshole out of here. Not mentioned. I know. I know. Yeah. Um. Okay. So he gets defeated at Leipzig. He gets exiled to... Elba? El- Elba. Elba? Yeah, Elba. It's no, no. a little French colony. Yeah. Um, he gets... Like, because there, there is this thing that we still do now, but we really used to do then. Officers are treated a certain way. Right. And leaders of countries are treated a certain way. Right. And we, we are not the French rebels. We're not going to execute him like a dog in the street. We're mm-hmm. going to let him live his life, life on a private as a island. governor of an island thinking of course that this guy doesn't like fighting like they make the mistake of thinking napoleon's a normal freaking person yeah who w- was just trying to be an aggressive leader and if yeah. we shove him away he'll take the l and he'll live his life in relative peace and harmony yeah he doesn't do that he comes back and he rallies the french behind him with his own cult of personality which mm-hmm. is something we miss he he literally well, he does it to like one group one, of soldiers. Yeah, that happened. But I, from what I understand, it's a way bigger. Well, that's what I'm saying. He does it to one group of soldiers, and then he's like, "All right, the French army's mine again." I'm like, "Wait, what? Yeah, wait, what? Yeah." He okay. comes back with 700 men. The fifth, the entire fifth regiment, a regiment is a thousand or more people. Right. So that scene really did him dirty. It looked like it was like 50 guys. <laughs> it it was. The fifth regiment comes out to intercept him. And he literally walks out, looks at them and says, here I am. Kill your emperor if you wish. And they respond with long live the emperor, hmm. which is more or less what That's happened in the went. movie. Just way yeah. like a thousand, two thousand guys. Right. He does that. Um, he marches towards Paris and French soldiers just start coming to him hmm. because before Napoleon, France doesn't know a whole lot, but defeat right during Napoleon, their top dog. Mm-hmm. So all the soldiers, all the officers are like, the man is back. Here we go. Here we go. Let's do this. And immediately the British and the Prussians and the Russians and the Austrians were like, oh, hell no, we're not again. Got to put it down. No more. And so the British assemble, as we see in the movie, this massive army of allied guys, all under the general command of this guy, Duke of Wellington. Yeah. And they meet Napoleon with a large Prussian and British army at Waterloo. Yeah. Where he loses. Yeah, Waterloo was fine. It was confusing. It was like, it almost was like the movie was trying to say that Napoleon lost because of the rain. They really did the Battle of Waterloo dirty. Um, so let's talk about what happens in the movie. Um, because we've been, we've done well, a good job of like going back and forth. So well, let's talk about the movie version. Of okay, in the movie version, uh, Napoleon's like, no, we're holding off. And who, okay, who is the army that's coming to back up the British? Yeah, it's the Prussians. That's the Prussians. Okay. Yes. So the Prussians are on the way. They're, right. I don't remember what they said, 50 miles out? Some, 15, like I think, and then, yeah. Okay, so they're, they're a ways away. He's got a few hours. It's raining. He can't take the artillery through the rain. It'll get stuck in the mud. And so he's, he's waiting, holding on, uh, holding off on doing anything. And, um, Essentially, the Prussians get too close. He's like, okay, I have to go now. He attacks just like straight on. There's nothing special about his attack. It's just like a straight on attack. He has the artillery. He has his men kind of charge and it doesn't work. Um, The British break off into these squares 
mm-hmm. as the cavalry of the French, um, you know, run in. It, there's a little scene here to where, like, the French, I, I don't want to say, like, the reinforcements because i don't think the reinforcements but they're like the second line of attack yeah the french are on horses and then like the british have the same exact thing so it's showing like they're matched and he's beat because the duke of wellington has a better tactic he's a better he has better uh a better strategy here well, he's just willing to beat him at his own game he's like i don't have to outthink you i just have to trap you into doing what you always do well not just that i just have to wait you out yep because i have reinforcements coming and you don't yep and so it really it's like Okay, so Napoleon, I feel like, okay, so the first we have, we the first, I said, like I said, we have three, in my opinion, we have three major battle scenes that are actually shown throughout the film that we get kind of this progression and, and, and at this point, regression of of Napoleon. You have the rise, you have him nervous in the first one, he's confident, he's nervous at the, the siege of Toulon. Right. You have, he's uh, confident at, at Austerlitz, and now you have, he's overconfident at Waterloo. Right. He thinks that everything he touches is gold, he does a basic attack, and it doesn't work. So really, yeah, and it's it's weird because it doesn't even seem like it's all that close. Like you feel like the French are going to lose even before the Prussians. He gets up. his ass kicked, man. He does. It's fine. I, I thought it was cool. Like the practical effects and everything are cool. So in reality, the battle of Waterloo, I don't know if it was raining, but I haven't found anything that stated that that was significant. Nobody knows when it starts somewhere around 10 AM. Um, Napoleon's forces open fire for some godforsaken reason um, on this house that the British have occupied. That's kind hmm. of, in the fringe of the battlefield, the British are on the high ground and Wellington knowing that he can't outthink Napoleon or maybe even outfight Napoleon decides to out stubborn Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And he fortifies some men in this big walled manner mm-hmm. with these really thick walls. And that becomes the fight within the fight. So in Gettysburg, there's this uh, battle within the battle of Gettysburg on the second day called the battle of little round top mm. where the union win a decisive victory in that area of the battle against the confederates and it turns the tide same thing in this place called hugamont the british win the mini battle of hugamont they defend this manor all day Mm -hmm. napoleon desperate to take it for reasons unknown just because it's a thorn in his side he's napoleon sends in more troops than he should have right and it never falls the british hold it for the entire battle is it a house it's yeah it's it's like this walled like manor yeah. kind of idea it it has that was not in the movie at all no it wasn't which was crazy because it's a huge part of the battle of waterloo huh yeah um anyway so that happens as that's going on um napoleon's grand battery his massive cannon start firing he yeah. has 80 guns which is ungodly this is another thing they barely touched on napoleon's like widely regarded as a master of modern artillery mm-hmm. like he's brilliant at it his yeah. artillery placement his usage of it is why he wins so often he does um, say that about himself but it's not really shown very much in the movie maybe a little bit in Austerlitz, but yeah that's it so the battle of waterloo the the massive artillery barrage happens but they're so far away it causes casualties but it doesn't force any real decisions mm-hmm. the british fire back it's this whole you know it's how it's how battles happen you shoot mm-hmm. each other with your cannons until somebody decides to flinch napoleon flinches he marches his men at the British. And this is where the lack of awareness from Ridley Scott or the lack of caring does the movie injustice. Because in some ways, the British and the French armies are the perfect opponents because mm-hmm. they have fought each other in Spain for three years. Mm-hmm. Never mentioned in the movie. The Peninsular Campaign is wildly important. It's part of the reason Napoleon falls because the British help the Spanish rebels against the French 
win. And the mm. Duke of Wellington makes his name constantly defeating and outwitting the French in the Peninsular War, is what it's called, because it's the Iberian Peninsula. So he, with his Battle Harvard Army and his know-how of how the French fight, comes to Waterloo. And the yeah. French, under Napoleon, would attack in these crazy, overpowering columns of men. They're mobile. They're cool. The issue is, it's musket warfare. You can't bring a whole lot of guns to bear all at the same time. Right. So they would advance, and then they would spread out and fire. But it's harder to pin artillery on a column. Right. That's fine. The British fix that problem by doing ranked firing, and they mm -hmm. will put three or four or five ranks of guys and just unleash unholy hell into this column. Right. So it's a stalemate. They kind of go back and forth like that. Napoleon's realizing there's not enough oomph in his first infantry attack. So he kind of relocates, and then here comes the British cavalry. They wait, they wait, they wait, and then right as they're locked together mm -hmm. the british cavalry come and they don't fully manage to turn the tide but it's just a melee at this point there's british cavalry there's british men there's french men there's this giant manor off to the periphery of the battle that's just sucking thousands of guys mm -hmm. into it they're left and right the french cavalry come <laughs> and wellington unveils his unholy surprise which is these giant cavalry squares is what they're yep. called. The French cavalry had earned a reputation of being the crux of every Napoleonic victory. It's mm -hmm. his artillery, his cavalry, and the morale of his men. Yeah. His men will fight till they die. Mm -hmm. His cannons are always good and always where he needs them, and his cavalry always attack at right. the best moment. You see it in Borodino in the brief Russian battle mm -hmm. where he leads cavalry charge. That's what does it, is he waits until they're engaged and he breaks their lines. Cavalry. He tries that again, and Wellington's men make these giant regiment large, like thousands of guys, squares. Right. The reason you make a square is, as we see in the movie, it breaks the momentum of the cavalry, and you can still fire. It reminded me of, like, uh, how they would circle <coughs> the wagons, um, you know, in, like, the days of moving west through the United States. Uh, circle the, the wagons, like, the, yeah. st the skirmishes between uh, the natives and the... And the, the I don't know what you call them. Yeah. Pilgrim, not pilgrims. Oh, the pioneers. Pioneers, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like, it, it's kind of similar to circling the wagons. And the thing about cavalry attacks is that they kill people, but really they just scare the shit out of guys. You know, because you've got 1,000, 2,000 horses just running dead yeah, out that'd be terrifying. If you're in a square, if I'm shoulder to shoulder and I'm in a bayonet line, yeah. I'm way less scared of that horse. Right. Because there's people to my back, there's people to my mm -hmm. side, I'm braced. Screw you. Come at me, Frenchie. You know? Yeah. And there's not a lot of coordination between Napoleon's artillery and his cavalry, and the cavalry attack fails. Mm -hmm. Here comes wave number two of the French infantry. They just hammer each other back and forth, and Napoleon can't win, and Wellington won't lose, and they fight, and they fight, and then here comes 120,000 Prussians over the hill. Game over. Game over. Yeah. And uh... Wellington, in his memoirs, called it the closest thing you had ever seen. So he, like, even in the moment, it's not, it doesn't look like it does in the movie. Like, it's not almost a British victory and then the Prussians just met it. I mean, it is a back and forth, like, Sonny Liston versus Muhammad Ali the first time, not the time he knocks him out one shot. It's the, it, it's the massive, like, heavyweight brawl and nobody can win. Right. And then here comes the ref with a chair just out of left field. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. No, it definitely doesn't look like that in the movie. It, it looks like Napoleon's losing the already. entire time. And then the, yeah. No, in real life, Wellington thinks he's going to lose. Yeah. Because he's outnumbered by right. like 15,000 guys. Mm -hmm. And Napoleon's Napoleon. And the second 
slowly but surely, the second French infantry attack starts to roll up his man, and he's out of guys. He has yeah. nobody left. Nobody does. It's yeah. all committed. The French have some more numbers. It's unfortunate that the British cavalry squares happen, but it's fine. We got them. They're on the ropes. Yeah. We, we can deliver the punch, and then the Prussians get there. All right, so this is the end of Napoleon's power. Yep. Um, I don't really think it's a spoiler, but let's just, there's not a lot to talk about there. Let's just skip over. Let's just talk about what we think. What, yeah. what did you think? I thought it's fine. I didn't think it's great. I didn't think it's bad. I think it's fine. Historically, I think it's not more like fictional than I thought it would be because mm-hmm. I've seen Ridley Scott movies. It was, he didn't make the same choices he normally makes. Mm-hmm. Usually the story is a little fictionalized, but the world is pretty concrete. He messed up both in this one and mm-hmm. that's hard to sell. And again, the closer you get, the more people, even who don't really know, you can sense it. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is this happening the way it is? So, um, I don't know. You want to just me to give a rating or um, what do you, I want to say, for this man, this was a two hundred million dollar movie, and that's all you got. And you know what I mean? You, like it looks phenomenal. It looks phenomenal. Oh yeah, the set design looks phenomenal. It looks like a lot of practical effects. It looks like some very large scenes. You know, something that only millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars can can put together with all these right. extras, the horses, the choreography. Right. And it's like, man. I, I can't just say it's just the story because it's not just the story. It seems, I've said this before, it seems directionless. It does. It was, I read a good critique that the more I look at what we know of Napoleon and like who he was, the more I think is right. There, it was written like a British guy with a bone to pick against the French wrote Napoleon. There was nothing, it's not that there was nothing redeemable about him. There was nothing to him. No, he's, a narcissistic, egotistical, crazy guy. I don't feel like there, there. This wasn't a good character development. This wasn't a good snapshot of. I don't feel like he's I know the him same, as a person. He's the same man mm-hmm. when he stands in the square and watches the queen get decapitated, mm-hmm. as he is creepily watching young girls sword fight right before he dies in the final scene. And the three battle scenes. I feel like are the only character arc that we get is he's yeah. nervous, he's confident, he's overconfident. And it's not even his character, it's just how he deals with his enemies. And it's, I mean, it's, that's fine. That could, but you, it could have been expanded so much better. Yeah. A lot of people are really going, like going in on Joaquin Phoenix on this. Having seen Joaquin Phoenix in Gladiator versus Napoleon, he was not in it. If that makes sense, like he does, he, it's not it's not the normal Joaquin because no. normally he saves projects. It's he's a really good actor. He usually he's a comes phenomenal in phenomenal actor. I don't know what it was, man, but it just it's Didn't not click. bad, but it's not good. It is, how is it the felt. most. It is the most. I don't want to say bland. That's not the <laughs> word I'm looking for. He gave the most serviceable. He gave the most generic, like mm-hmm. stereotypical Napoleon, in his own way. I mean, I mean, the you, depth of his crazy was cool. Like he, it's it's so weird because it's like I don't want to say he didn't do a good job because he put a lot of oomph into what he did, mm-hmm. but it's the same oomph and the same thing 
the whole movie. I saw, I saw, and it's thing. weirdly funny. And it's it, like the you laugh there at things that funny aren't parts. funny, though. You know, you're like, wait a second, that shouldn't have been funny. That's sexual because assault. Because you have boats. <laughs> yeah, that was a and line. that was God. Um, man. there's, I, I, this could be just rumors, but I saw, uh, I think it was a Screen Rant article that just weeks before they started shooting, Joaquin Phoenix told Ridley Scott he had no idea what what to do right. to be Napoleon. Yeah. And the movie it's doesn't a, help him because it's like, a daunting task. Yeah, there's not there's nothing in the script. No, I really feel you like can't, if with a better script and a better starting point for the rest of it to develop, maybe it could have been better. I don't know. Anyways, this is we're recording this um first week of December. As of December third, um the movie has grossed 136 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, on a 200 million dollar budget. There was a 65% drop from week one to week two. Which means the people are seeing it, not liking it, and telling people, hey, and telling people don't go see watch it in the it. theater. It's just weird. And, you know, hist- a little historian goes a long way. So if you mm-hmm. didn't want to make an accurate Napoleon movie, mm-hmm. whatever, that's fine. But you have one of the greatest actors of this last two decade period. Mm-hmm. The man can act. I mean, he's Joker. He's Commodus. The guy has chutzpah. He can mm-hmm. act. Hire a historian, if only to help him, to be like, this is who Do Napoleon something. was. Something was. This is what his letters are. Yeah. It's, yeah. I just feel, I feel mildly bad for everybody involved because it's one of those, it could have been so freaking good. Yeah. And instead, it's fine. So I'm pretty sure I, I'm pretty sure you went first last time. So, yeah. Uh, I might be wrong. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Rate it, baby. Um, I am going to, before I rate this, I'm going to retroactively change my rating for Gladiator. Okay. Because time and time again now, I have compared a movie to Gladiator, and though when I watched it, I did have gripes about it, and I didn't think it was a perfect movie by any means, but I can't hold it as the standard for all a bunch of different At other like movies a seven. <laughs> and then say it's a seven. Right. I realized that looking back, I'm like, hold on a second. Okay, I need to go back and change this. So I'm going to retroactively make gladiator an eight out of ten there you go i mean i rated it an eight yeah i i almost said 7.5 and i was like no it's an eight being optimistic life short enjoy things it's also it's an eight gladiator is one of those movies that you have to think to yourself how many movies have i seen that are actually better than Gladiator? yeah and not many so give it an and eight, it also came know? out in 2000 which right. is like one it's of a the different worst culture. eras yeah. of film well it's a different movie culture the standard this was felt low. like a 2000 movie that's what it is. This yeah. felt like that, like weirdly trying to be accurate, but it isn't at all grimy, like overly grody character. Two thousands movie. Was this like a realistic Troy? It kind of felt that way. <laughs> now that you say that, like it's lesser than the sum of its parts. You yeah. know. All right. So my rating. With that said, with my rating is going to be five point five. Yeah. I'm going to give it the movie a six. Okay. In terms of I'd watch it again, but only if somebody asked me, kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I didn't hate it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to see it again. All right. You don't have to compare these two movies. I have to because they feel the same to me. They, They're wildly different. All That's right, not Kyle, true at all. That's just, we'll, we'll argue after this obje- podcast. Objectively, <laughs> objectively, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a far better movie than Napoleon. It just is. Um, based off of critics <laughs> i didn't think so but wait, screw me am i right <laughs> who cares about the historian's opinion in matters of hollywood um historically i'm gonna lowball this because i'm gonna give it a five okay which other than braveheart i think is the lowest rating i've given uh, uh maybe yeah maybe the reason i give it a five is not because 
it's historically inaccurate for the most part. Mm-hmm. Most of it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's that every time historical accuracy was like super important or detail was important, it didn't do it. So right. that's why it gets a five. Yeah. Because you leave the movie not thinking you have a good understanding about Napoleon and you don't. As much as I'd like to spend the next hour ranting against Ridley Scott and the like cluster that is this movie, yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion that this podcast is way too long. Way too long. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, those were our ratings. Next week, well, we don't know when this is going to be released. So next week is either We Were Soldiers right, or more likely, based off of when we're recording this, it is, and Dustin's schedule, because <laughs> <laughs> he's the editor, um, more likely next week is the first part of our Tombstone double feature. Tombstone double feature. So stay tuned. My favorite Western. Say, stay tuned. Of all 90s. Uh, yeah, of all I'm 90s. I'm kidding. No, I'm all on time. It I was love 90s. Tombstone. It was 90s, right? It was 90s. Okay. Early 90s. Somewhere so yeah, there. next week's either We Were Soldiers or the first part of our Tombstone double feature. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully Dustin gets this slimmed down to where you're not going to hate cuts, yourself. Man. I'm going to do some cuts, Thank you all for tuning in. If we, if you, if you've seen Napoleon, we hope we, we hope we did it added, justice. Added to your enjoyment because we didn't get a whole lot out of it, but, no, we but didn't, hey. it wasn't a waste of time. Yeah, that's my review. That's it. It, it wasn't, wasn't a waste, waste of time. time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's the best thing we can say about this movie. Good night and God bless everybody. All right, see you.